even the little peripheral things become interesting. And I love hearing that because it's like, it's my story. You know, it's just all the little things, like you say, that you thought had gone away. I mean, it's great to hear who we were, these little things, you know. So they become important because they're just, they're just little things. But in the big picture of what we've done, these little incidental things become very interesting. We're on our way home. We're going in 1969, the Beatles were bigger than ever. John, Paul, George, and Ringo were the most worshipped pop stars on earth. They were coming off artistic triumphs like Sgt. Pepper and the White Album. As far as everybody else was concerned, the Beatles had it all. But there was something they needed to recapture. Something that mattered to them more than anything else. Each other. The Beatles took a whole new direction with their next project. This was not going to be a complicated magnum opus like Sgt. Pepper. Instead, they wanted to get back to their roots. But instead of making a simple, fun, back-to-basics album as they had hoped, they ended up with something else entirely. Let It Be came out in May 1970, right after the Beatles broke up in public, in the messiest divorce the pop music world had ever seen. Let It Be would be the last record they ever released. That's the interesting about Let It Be, is it's, the, it's an album of conflict. Giles Martin is the son of the Beatles producer George Martin, and he just remastered a new deluxe edition of Let It Be that expands our picture of what was going on at the time. Not, funny enough, conflict from within the band, despite what people think but more so with creative conflict. That's what it is. It's the most creatively conflicted album the Beatles made because they weren't quite sure what they are making when they made it. Let It Be is the Beatles' most controversial album. Their darkest and most divisive. Their messiest and quirkiest. It also happens to have some of their greatest and most uplifting moments ever in songs like Let It Be and Across the Universe. The darkness and the bitterness, it turns out, is really only half the story. Breakdown, baby. I'm Brittany Spanos, senior writer for Rolling Stone, and your host for a brand new season of Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums, an Amazon original podcast. Last year, Rolling Stone completely remade its list of the 500 Greatest Albums, and we celebrated by diving into 10 albums from the list, from Taylor Swift's Red to Missy Elliott's Super Dupa Fly. This season, we're bringing you even more unknown stories from the biggest and most influential artists of all time. In our season premiere, The Beatles, Let It Be. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. 
Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rolling Stone's resident Beatleologist Rob Sheffield spoke to Giles Martin and Peter Jackson, who directed a new documentary series, Get Back, which takes a fresh look at the Let It Be sessions. Rob also talked to a couple of longtime Beatle fans named Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr. Here he is with the full story of Let It Be and what really happened when the Beatles came apart. Let It Be always sticks out in the Beatles catalog like a sore thumb. Is it an album or a movie soundtrack? A live album or a studio album? Is it their breakup album? Is it their final album? Does it even really count as a true Beatles album at all? Let It Be is the sound of John, Paul, George, and Ringo at a crossroads, heading into their 30s, facing the end of the 60s, moving on to their adult lives. When the Beatles went into the studio in January 1969, they were on a mission to recapture their mojo as a group. They wanted to bang out a new album, just like they used to in the early days. No overdubs, no special effects, no studio magic, just a simple good old rock and roll band. The plan was to play the new songs on stage and make a live record called Get Back. And with their magnificent Beatle hyper-confidence, they decided they were going to do it all in front of movie cameras. Get Back would be both a live album and a movie. Here's producer Giles Martin. Get Back itself, the original concept, was the Beatles saying to themselves, okay, we're going to do a live album. We're going to play a gig which we haven't planned yet. We are going to have songs we actually haven't written yet. And we're going to do it in three weeks' time, and we're going to film it. That was their concept. And even for the Beatles, that's brave. At that point, the Beatles were growing apart. John was about to marry Yoko. Paul was about to marry Linda. John and Yoko got lost in hard drugs. George was feeling creatively stifled by the band, They had solo projects they wanted to pursue. Once again, Giles Martin. Let It Be is the sound of a band trying to rekindle an old relationship. That's what it is. It's trying to discover the the roots of what made them the Fab Four back in Mersey. And trying to forget their past, which of course is impossible for all of us to do. We carry our past with us whether we like it or not. they, They carry the fact they made, you know, Rubber Soul, Revolver, Sgt. Pepper, the White Album, before a magical mystery tour before before this and they tried and they're trying to go back to their early days of the cavern club and they're trying to capture what made them just a rock and roll band but of course the beauty of the beatles is they're way more complex than that by the time the movie got released in may 1970 the beatles were broken up let it be has a reputation as one of the most infamously depressing rock movies ever made, showing the Fab Four bitching each other out in front of the cameras. But as it turns out, that's not exactly what happened. This footage isn't the band breaking up. Not only did the Beatles keep going for another year, they went into the studio to make another album. It was called Abbey Road, their most successful and popular album ever. But the music on Let It Be happened to come out later, right as the band called it quits. That distorts how people hear the music. And that's why director Peter Jackson opened up the Beatle vaults to see the archives, nearly 60 hours of footage from the sessions, 
most of it never seen before. Jackson found that despite all the bickering, there was also a shocking amount of music and laughter. He turned all this footage into a brand new three-part documentary, Get Back. For Ringo Starr, the new Get Back captures what it was really like in the Beatles. Four boys in a room caught up in the joy of playing music together. It was a great band. I loved that band. I, I mean, it was just a thrill to be with those three guys. You know, we had every facet, Paul and man of many voices and great bass player, John. Let's go, George, working those melodies on guitar that, you know, a lot of the stuff George put on the tracks is as important, really, as the track because it, oh, it's that, you know, you did, whatever he did, oh, it's that track. You know, they'd know from whatever George played, it's great. So I think we did well. For Paul McCartney, the Get Back movie is a time capsule of those moments with the band. That's what's nice about this upcoming Get Back film by Peter Jackson. He's very carefully left in a lot of that. So you see the thing in its entirety. You see the moment with the little quiet moment and then the idea. And then you see this. And it did mean that he, he ended up with an eight-hour edit, which, which, you know, because he's just very respectfully kept all these little moments. And, you know, I'm sure there'll be some fans who will be like, you know, want the eight hour. Get Back climaxes with the famous rooftop concert in January 1969, the last show they ever played. Jackson shows the entire 42-minute concert, and it's a revelation. It's the Beatles at their most human. They had no idea how cold it was up on the roof, so some of them are wearing their wives' coats. At one point, John has one of the crew crouch near him, holding up cue cards to help him remember his own lyrics. In Get Back on the Roof concert, there's this moment where John doesn't know the words to the song. So you see him just sort of fumbling around and someone is sitting at his feet, holding a lyric sheet for him, you know, shows his vulnerability and shows his willingness to admit his vulnerability. They, they all contribute to your understanding of John. It's lovely to get those little details. With everything the Beatles were going through at the time, they still managed to pick up their guitars, strike up the music, and come together. Take it, Ringo. Well, we had a lot of fun. You know, I mean, coming out on Thanksgiving is the remastered <laughs> Get Back documentary, which is now six hours long. And a lot of fun and laughter where the original did not have any fun or laughter. It was a shame about that. But anyway, it's been out a long time. But we did get on the roof and we did finish an album in that month. So it wasn't like we were sitting around all day. So how did the world get such a negative image of Let It Be? And how did this album come to symbolize the breakup of the Beatles? When they came into the studio to make Get Back, it got off to a chilly start. Instead of good old Abbey Road, they were in an alien environment. Twickenham Film Studios was freezing cold. The equipment didn't work. The acoustics were terrible. They couldn't get loose creatively in front of a film crew of total strangers. And they hated the food. To make it all worse, the session started early in the morning. And one thing all four Beatles had in common, none of them were morning people. 
Here's some dialogue from the sessions as featured in the new Let It Be special deluxe edition. Morning, morning everybody. Another bright day, morning camera. Right from the start, there was fussing and fighting. I mean, you know. I mean, I'll play just the chords if you like. And no, no, come on. I'm, I'm trying to help you know, but I always hear myself like, annoying you. And I'm trying to, no, I, I get to you know, annoy you. But you know what I mean? Well, you know, we do There's a famous know. scene from the movie where George and Paul argue over a guitar part. Try it like this, you know? It's funny that I don't because when we put the. Um, I know it's, it's this one, it's like, should we play guitar all through Adrian? Well, I don't think we should. Yeah. Okay, well, I don't mind. I'll, I'll play, you know, whatever you want me to play. Or I won't play at all if you don't want me to play. No, whatever it is that would please you. I'll do it. One morning, John and Yoko haven't shown up. Paul and Ringo sit around and wait. So bored, they end up playing a version of Build Me Up Buttercup. Everybody discusses all the tension people are having with Yoko. But surprisingly, Paul is the one who sticks up for Yoko, saying it doesn't make sense if the Beatles break up over this petty drama. But it's going to be such an incredible sort of comical thing, like in 50 years' time, you know. They broke up because Yoko sat on an amp. Or just something like this. What? The Beatles had brought in a new producer for these sessions, the great Glyn Johns. He went on to produce legendary albums like Led Zeppelin IV and Who's Next. George Martin had always been the band's producer ever since he discovered them, signed them, and recorded Love Me Do. But for this project, he was on the sidelines, as his son Giles recalls. He was told by the Beatles, you know, in the get back sessions, especially by John, that they didn't really need him. This is them live and he wasn't the live guy, you know. They need Glenn to capture them. I think my you know, I think you said we don't we, we don't need a production shit on this one, George. Let It Be is a mess of an album. Some of it is in the studio, some is live. Some of it is doctored with goopy orchestral overdubs, added a year later by producer Phil Spector who was brought in to turn the tapes into an album. But for some fans, the messiness of Let It Be is exactly what they love. One of these fans is Rolling Stone writer Angie Martoccio. I just love that there's so much tension that was involved. I don't want to say I like drama, but I like that it ends like this, you know, that there's tension and there's uh, a lot of sadness involved. They're falling apart. A lot of the times they're not even all four together with these songs. Casually, they quit and come back. There's just so much involved. And I think that's a much more realistic ending than something that's so intentional and intricate and beautiful like Abbey Road. Give Phil Spector credit. He made the decision to add Across the Universe. It's not from the Get Back Sessions. It's from February 1968, before the White Album, before they even went to India. But full respect to Phil for knowing that the song not just could be on the album, but really belonged on the album. It's emotionally of a piece with the other songs. Across the Universe is my favorite song of all time. And that's uh, when I was a kid and up till now, it makes me so happy. I think even now, it was actually my number one on the ballot recently that we did. It's a John song. It's very introspective. It has me, it kind of has to do with why I've always been a Lennon fan, I think. 
You know, I like the uh, the moody and poetic, like kind of distraught sense of him. And I, I love Paul as well, but um, I think this is really what made me like a, a Lennon freak when I was younger. I love the idea of nothing's gonna change my world. I love it he put that Sanskrit in there. I would give anything to be in that room when all of a sudden John busts out with Jai Guru Deva Om just to see what George George's expression would have been. Like, yes, I also know Om. There's something about it to me that is, it's the perfect song. The tension got so nasty at the Twickenham sessions, George Harrison walked out and quit the band for a week. The band had completely ignored his songs, never mind that he was bringing them classics like All Things Must Pass and Isn't It a Pity. Even when he quit, they didn't take him seriously. John said, I think if George doesn't come back by Monday or Tuesday, we ask Eric Clapton to play. Here's Giles Martin. I think George is definitely the odd, odd man out, especially at this stage. And the reason why is because George has suddenly got a whole load of respect from incredible artists outside of the Beatles. You know, like Eric Clapton's his best friend, you know, is the greatest, greatest guitar player on earth. And he's writing songs and he's writing songs like All Things Must Pass, like something. Like, isn't it a pity, you know, beautiful, iconic, great, great songs. But they're not helping him. John refers to George as Harrisongs at one stage, as Harrisongs here because he's got his own publishing. He's got his own thing. I don't know whether George would have wanted them to write with him. Part of me thinks he would have done, but I just don't, I think they're so obsessed by each other's writing, they didn't do it. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The mood brightened when the lads left Twickenham and went to their own Apple headquarters on Savile Row. They were back on their home ground. Paul McCartney contributed one of his all-time most soulful love songs, written for his new girlfriend, Linda. The song was called two of us. You know, I've got a very vivid memory of driving out of London in my Aston Martin with Linda. There's the two of us. And she was always keen on getting lost. But whereas most of us guys, you know, driving, particularly driving uh, a loved one, you know, a, a new girlfriend in my case, you're nervous about getting lost. You know, oh God, in London, you can really get lost. It's not like New York was a grid, but she would always just say, yeah, well, so let's get lost, you know, and we went out just like, great. We just headed out of London and we came to a place where there was a little parking spot and a field and then there was a woods. 
I, did, I had my guitar, I pretty much took it everywhere with me and just started writing that song, you know. It came very easily because it was commenting on what we were doing kind of thing, but going a bit more uh, lyrical with it, and poetic and, you know, just putting in, you know, chasing paper and just little phrases that I like. But, uh, but basically that, that day spawned that little sucker. Another new song was called Let It Be. The song originated in the 1968 sessions for the White Album, inspired by the civil rights struggle in the U.S. So in the first draft of the song, Paul isn't singing about Mother Mary, he's singing about Brother Malcolm. But the song changed as Paul kept working on it. It became a song about the secret doubts and worries he was facing at the end of his 20s, realizing that life as he knew it was coming to an end. Mother Mary was his mother, Mary McCartney, a nurse in Liverpool who died of cancer in 1956, when Paul was just 14. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me. John Lennon also lost his mother as a teenager, and wrote one of the White Album's most beautiful songs about her, Julia. That's yet another one of the countless things that make the Beatles totally unique in history. What other rock band recorded such beautiful love ballads to their lost mothers? Let It Be is still one of the Beatles' most famous and beloved songs. Let it be, let it be, let it be. Whisper words of wisdom, let it be. One positive factor during the sessions, the Beatles had a new personality in the room. On the very first day at Apple, George was passing through the lobby when he ran into an old acquaintance, an American keyboardist named Billy Preston. George recruited him on the spot. As soon as he jammed with the Fam Four, they wanted him to stay. He had an R&B keyboard sound, but he also had a badly needed upbeat attitude. As John said, you're giving us a lift, Bill. The first song Billy Preston ever played with the Beatles was one of John Lennon's most powerful confessions, a love song to Yoko full of doubt and fear. The song was called Don't Let Me Down. In the original version from the unreleased Glyn John's mix of the album, John asks Ringo to start the song with a big cymbal crash. He says, give me the courage to come screaming in. Don't Let Me Down became one of the highlights of the Beatles' final performance, the legendary rooftop concert. The Beatles set up their guitars on top of their Apple headquarters in the heart of downtown London and surprised the city with some rock and roll. They played until the London police made it up to the roof, turned off the power supply, and shut the whole concert down. Three songs from the rooftop gig made it onto the finished Let It Be album. I've Got a Feeling, One After 909, and dig a pony. They sound rough and ragged on the roof, but they also sound great. John is so transported, he can't help saying the words, fuck yeah, out loud, right at the end of I've Got a Feeling. It's right there on the album version they released. Rolling Stones, Angie Martoccio again. I think it also shows each of their adorable egos, 
You know, they had confidence as the Beatles that they could do that, even if they were a little rusty. They knew how important they were. I think it's a nice idea on paper, <laughs> but of course, of course, we know how it ended up. But that's also why I like the rooftop concert. Um, it's it's really fun to see them having fun. It's not like they're these masters making like very serious music. They're they're boys who have known each other a long time, most of their lives, and they still get along. And I think when you see the rooftop sessions and they're joking and saying like "fuck yeah," it makes them more human than we think they are. After the rooftop gig, the Get Back sessions were finally done, and the Beatles moved on fast. Glyn Johns compiled the Get Back tapes into an album, but the band rejected it as an unreleasable mess. The last thing they wanted was to relive that experience. Instead, they immediately started working on their next album. Just a few weeks after the rooftop, they were back in the studio, but this time with George Martin. They promised him they'd be on their best behavior. And this time they returned to the studio they called home. They even named the album after the studio's location, Abbey Road. It came out in the fall of 1969 and instantly became their biggest hit ever, with songs like Here Comes the Sun and Come Together. They made it a self-conscious summary of everything they'd ever done together, signing off with a song fittingly called The End. And in the end The love you after Abbey Road came out, the Beatles were in desperate need of a break, a little well-deserved time off to work on their solo projects and give each other some breathing room. Unfortunately, that's not what happened. They had a new manager named Alan Klein, and he decided they needed a new album right away. So he decided to turn the Get Back tapes into a new album called Let It Be. And he called in a new producer, Phil Spector. Spectre was a legend with his trademark wall of sound style of production. He made some of the 60s most epic pop records, classics like The Ronettes, Be My Baby. But Phil Spectre was also a legendary control freak and a dictator in the studio. He had the opposite of the George Martin, less is more philosophy. He took an over-the-top approach to the Beatles tapes. He cut Don't Let Me Down from the album and he piled on the overdubs, sometimes drowning out the band. He added an orchestra, a harp, and a ridiculously cheesy choir. He added all these changes without any input from George Martin or Paul McCartney. Both were horrified when they heard what Phil Spector had done to these songs. An example, here's how the long and winding road sounded, the way the songwriter intended it. Now, here's the Phil Spector version. Don't keep me waiting here. In 2003, McCartney supervised a new version of the album, removing the Phil Spector embellishments, called Let It Be Naked. Here's Giles Martin again. I spoke to Paul about it, actually, because before we started Let It Be, you know, we said, you know, we, we were going to do the film with Peter, and then, you know, we decided we'd remix the album. And I actually saw Paul here at Abbey Road, and I said, what do you reckon? He goes, well, we can't really change history, can we? He said, can you take the harp down in, in Long and Winding Road? It is what it is, and I quite like it, actually. I quite like Long and Winding Road. Phil Spector was basically an artist that, that produced records. He, you know, he, wanted, he wanted it to sound like Phil Spector. That's what he wanted to do. And so that's the struggle with his production with the Beatles, is because no one really wants the Beatles to sound anything, like the, anything but like the Beatles. That's why people go against it. But 
these records are now iconic and they are what they are. I mean, we did take the harp down a little bit, but, but they are what they are. The Long and Winding Road is easily the most divisive song on the Beatles' most divisive record. Is this a great song that's just suffering from too much production slime? Or is it just a puddle of sniveling drivel in the first place? Some people really hate the song, as my colleague Angie Martoccio was stunned to find out. I was very saddened to learn, especially when I started to talk to music geeks when I was like a teenager, that they all hated the long and winding road. (laughs) And I was always kind of dismayed by that. I didn't understand it. And I finally figured out, I think, why I gravitate towards it, which is like, I guess you could say like a technicality, but anything inspired by his farm in Campbelltown and Paul's Scotland home, just like Ram. Um, that's, I love that feeling of that outdoor pastoral, um, you know, it's such a rich sound and that, I think it's just gorgeous. I, I never knew that people didn't like it and it always kind of caught me off guard. I was like, wait, you don't like this? Part of the shadow hanging over this song is the fact that it got chosen as the Beatles' farewell single against the will of the singer and songwriter who hated the way his work got butchered. But for some fans, that's what makes it the perfect way to say goodbye. I've always just thought about how it's the Beatles end. And that's that to me is like the end, I guess you could say, where I, I picture uh, Paul and John going through all of those years as brief as they were. And it's kind of heartbreaking. That's I think that's also why I liked it as a kid. It was moving to me and that I could hear that they were ending. I knew there were issues, but it's just so devastating to hear about you left me standing here a long, long time ago, not knowing what it was about. And I think it's like a really nice, it it gives me closure, let's say. I get closure from that song. Phil Spector's production on The Long and Winding Road was a turning point for the Beatles. For the first time, their personal differences and business squabbles sabotaged the music. They were fighting over money, fighting over solo albums, even fighting over who'd managed them. John wanted Alan Klein, Paul wanted his father-in-law, Lee Eastman. But until now, they'd never let their issues get in the way of their art. Before 1970, nobody would have dreamed of altering the Beatles' music and keeping it a secret from the guy who wrote the song. The Long and Winding Road was a clear sign that they no longer had creative control over their own music. It was a death blow. Ironically, the Get Back sessions didn't break up the band, but turning Get Back into Let It Be did. By the time the album came out in the spring of 1970, the Beatles were officially over. The four friends never set foot in the same room again. The album Let It Be was officially the soundtrack to the movie of the same name, also released in the spring of 1970. Both the album and the film are inextricably linked with the breakup of the Beatles, as Peter Jackson points out. Well, I mean, it symbolizes the breakup of the Beatles in the, in the historical sense, in the, in, you know, in the way that Let It Be was released in May 1970, and, and you, know, you know, it was a few weeks after you know, it has been sort of officially announced that the Beatles were splitting up. I mean, not that in May 1970 people knew they were splitting up because I'm sure people thought, oh, well, they're going to go off and do some, do some separate things. But in 1971 or 1972, they'll probably get back together. But nonetheless, there was um, certainly when the movie Let It Be was premiered, it was at, at what I would imagine would be a very dark time, not just for the Beatles themselves, but all their fans, you know. So, so even though Let It Be wasn't filmed... Um, with a breakup in mind, I can just imagine that if you're going to the cinema in May 1970 and you've just heard that the Beatles are broken up, then you're obviously going to look at the movie through a particular filter. 
viewed through the May 1970 filter, I'm sure that's what these people felt. At this point, the vast majority of Beatles fans haven't seen the film, which has been out of circulation for years. I got to see it in the theater once in the 80s, at a midnight screening in Boston, with a stoner crowd who kept booing when Yoko was on screen. The mood in the theater was hostile, and so was the mood on screen. But even for fans who haven't seen it, Let It Be has a reputation as a buzzkill. Peter Jackson, who directed the new Get Back documentary, was dreading the idea of going into the vault and watching all the footage. When I went to Apple, I was in the UK, and I, I spent a week at Apple um, looking at, the, at, at these outtakes. And the first day, I was my, my feet were heavy. I thought, well, what, I should be excited, I should be thrilled, but I just dread what I'm about to see. John Lennon didn't see the movie Let It Be until a month later in San Francisco with his friend, Rolling Stone founder Jan Wenner. John, Yoko, Jan, and his wife Jane all went to the theater on a weekday afternoon matinee. They paid to get in. Nobody recognized John or even noticed that there was a beetle in the room. The theater was empty except for them. The movie was already a flop. After the movie, outside the theater, John broke down on the sidewalk overwhelmed by the sadness of what he'd seen. Let It Be has always been an album that people listen to and inevitably imagine if this really had to be the end of the road. Could this band have been saved? Could they have made this sad song better? Perhaps they would have taken a break and done solo albums and come back and Billy Preston would have been a part of that. You know, like I, it's part of the whole like what could have or the, the what if to me part of how could this have been a little bit better? Maybe if they hadn't broken up and Billy would have kind of like made it feel fresh again. I don't want to say fully, but I think it would have helped. I also think just like taking a break, as George said, we're just going to do a couple solo records, but you know, we're, we're not, you know, it's very selfish if we don't get back together. And I love that. And I think that if they had just gotten back, added Billy, you know, maybe even done like maybe recorded Build Me Up Buttercup. I'm just kidding. Um, but just, I think they really needed a break. And the fact that they were never all in the same room again after that is nuts to me. There's a lot of grief and loss in the music. The Beatles lost their loyal manager, Brian Epstein, in 1967. How does the absence of Brian Epstein loom over this album? Giles Martin has a theory about that. I don't think Brian would have let them do it, is the answer. I think Brian would have been more organized and probably booked a venue let's face it to do it to, to, to be the beatles do a concert and then you know not booking a venue or having any end game you can't change history brian died he died the end of sergeant pepper but things were never the same after he died it changed you know? the way they behaved the way they were if you think about how instrumental he was in their professionalism and how he would be the person that would say okay you now have two weeks off, you've got to go and make an album. And they say it, they say, you know, Paul says we lost our daddy, he's gone now. And they were, they were, they were slightly rudderless and they would admit that themselves. His death would, you know, for, for many reasons was premature, but it can't be underestimated for the creative side of the Beatles. It was, it was definitely premature. For though they may be parted, there is still a chance that they will see there will be an answer let it be Beatles fans will always keep arguing over let it be the arguments rage on forever because the music lives on forever 
if this album seems like a messy ending to the Beatles story, that's because there's really no ending at all. As Ringo Starr says, the story just keeps on going. What I do love is a lot of kids say, hey man, love that music, love that track, love the, you know, whatever. So we sort of get every generation since then, uh, you know, get excited about the Beatles. If you're interested in music anyway, you have to listen to them, because they were great. The Beatles' Let It Be ranks number 342 on Rolling Stone's new Greatest Albums of All Time list. Get Back premieres on Disney Plus on November 25th. To hear more, check out the Rediscover the Beatles playlist on Amazon Music. I'm Brittany Spanos. This has been Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums, an Amazon original podcast. Executive producers are Christian Horde, Hank Schemer, Gus Winner, and myself. This episode was produced by Rob Sheffield and me, mixing by Marquise Neal. Our senior producer is Michelle Lands. Additional production help by Mary Dew. Bridget Shelsey is our production manager. Peter Miller is our music supervisor. Fact-checking by Jonathan Bernstein. Supervising executives for Amazon Music are Nathan Brackett, Morgan Jones, Steph Wachning, and Lauren D. And for Rolling Stone, Jason Fine. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums every Tuesday, exclusively on Amazon Music. In the climate-ravaged year of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven, a geoengineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she is willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Reyes Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.